0: is the New South Wales Country Hour with Michael Condon on ABC Radio
1: New South Wales.
2: Hello again and welcome to the show. Coming up the clean up has begun near force that so the roads need urgent attention with flooding and potholes causing havoc for freight
3: and other road users even on the major highways. Um, The newel has been cut in several parts, as an example, and uh, we are working and thinking outside the box as well with something like the newel in how we try and move the water. The water is lying there, so we we need to get to a point where we've got some pumps in there, that we've got some temporary levee type structures along the highway corridor to move the water, patch what we can and keep that road open.
2: You might uh, want to send us a text about what's happening in your neck of the woods with regards to the flooding and the road situation. It's uh, not just in the Central West that we've got road issues. Zero four six seven nine double two six eight four. Some roads in shocking conditions as well. 467 is the number to text me here at the Country Hour. But first, uh, let's look at the flooding in the north of the state because the north coast sugar sugarcane farmers, they say the Tweed River has been so highly modified now it can't act as a natural river. So it must now be treated as a giant drain. They say that sugarcane and soybean crop yields are down because the flood water that normally escapes through a large network of privately maintained cane drains is being blocked by the silted Tweed River. Farmers and the drainage unions are calling for the federal government to expand its funding for the CSIRO to undertake flood modelling of the Tweed River to prove it needs to be dredged urgently. Miranda Saunders has this report.
0: Mark North started growing soya beans on his 170-hectare sugarcane property on the Tweed River floodplains near Mwollomba more than 25 years ago to help improve soil quality. Over that time, he's changed his entire farming practice to ensure his soils are the healthiest they can be. His reward high-yielding crops.
4: We're part of the environment. If our environment is good and healthy, it works better for us.
0: You are managing a floodplain as well. So what sort of things are you doing there?
4: Good drainage is critical. Water quality is something that's close to my heart because I'm a fisherman, scuba diver. I've spent more time underwater than what you could probably count. And I just love seeing fish in my drains. With the introduction of soybeans, it came out very clear. And so we've been putting a little lime on doing all laser leveling so we get good drainage, surface drainage, um, applying lime on every crop rotation and on my farm I've lifted the pH from soil tests back 30 years ago with 4.2, 4.5 now I've got them up to five and a half getting on to six I think last year I had 5.7, 5.9 and that's just because of the amount of lime that we're putting on and things are growing better the soil health's better and everybody wins.
0: A network of drains runs across the Tweed Valley floodplains. They're all managed under private drainage boards. And while local landholders pride themselves on keeping these drains clean, it's getting the water from those drains into the Tweed River and then out to sea that's causing huge problems.
4: Tweed River's a very short river. From when it hits the floodplain, it's got rocks, it's got roads, both sides of it, nearly to the mouth where it meets the ocean. And to protect the roads, they're, they're continually rocking it, so the river can't move and you talk to any of the farmers that live along the floodplain, it's just not draining anymore. We can't get rid of the water out of our our drains on the floodplain because of the the silt in the river or the the flow of the river. Well, I think it's a drain, (laughs) but they say it's a river. But my understanding of a river, it's a living thing. It moves, you know, deposits silt, it can move around it. Our river can't move. It's it's locked and loaded. It can't go anywhere. Um, So I think once you modify something... I think the problem is we mess with nature and then we say, oh, we've got to let nature take its course. It can't. So if you modify something, you've got to maintain it. What sort of effect
0: is that having on your crops?
4: That's a major effect. I mean, the height of the water isn't critical to us. It's the length. We're thinking that we're looking at at least, you know, 36 to 48 hours longer to get water off our fields, and that's what does the damage. And if the crops are damaged, you get problems with, you know, rotting vegetation, um, oxygen depleting water. Like nobody wins from crops dying.
0: David Bartlett is the president of the Combined Tweed Drainage Council. He says the cane drains and the dredging of the Tweed River is critical for the future of the entire region.
5: Essential if you want this valley to function as it's functioning now as a a residential hub, uh, an industrial hub and an agricultural area. It, ha- it has to be maintained, otherwise the whole valley would just turn into a swamp and the, the road infrastructure would be uh, compromised. It just it wouldn't be the same valley anymore. Um, the CSIRO are, are doing flood studies in the north, north coast region at the moment. We believe that well, the Tweed Valley, which is the valley we're in, needs to be modelled, studied what is happening here how can we actually stop it happening or, or getting any worse than it already is?
0: What is the solution? Is dredging the solution?
5: My personal opinion is yes, that river needs dredging.
0: Member for Tweed, Jeff Provis, says funding for the dredging of the river is imminent, but he too wants to see the CSIRO flood bundling be extended to the Tweed River catchment.
6: I'm confident of announcing very shortly some extra funding. To alleviate some of the pressure on our river systems. Uh, the way I view it, uh, Miranda, is quite simple. If you don't clean out your gutters at home, eventually the rain's going to and the water's going to go somewhere where it's not required. And uh, I think the river needs urgent attention uh, to keep the health of it.
2: That was Jeff Provost, MP, ending that report from Miranda Saunders. Now, the ABC has contacted the Minister for Agriculture, Murray Watts' office. And the Minister has confirmed that from the CSIRO study, priority options for reducing flood risk from the Northern Rivers region will be identified for the government's consideration from the study, uh, priority options for reducing flood risk across all seven LGAs in the Northern Rivers region will be identified. He says the Albanese, Albanese government has already allocated $150 million to support the recommendations out of the study. However, he hasn't given any indication of expanding the flood modelling to the, tree, to, to the Tweed River. You can always send us a text. 0467 is the number to text us here at The Country Hour.
7: You're listening to The Country Hour
0: on ABC Radio New South Wales.
2: The floods in the Central West now, and the cleanup has begun near Forbes. But the roads need urgent attention, with flooding and potholes causing havoc for freight and other road users, even on the major highways. Fifty million dollars is on the table, and Minister for Regional Roads Sam Faraway says that money is there for councils to spend, and it needs to be spent now, fixing up local roads. He says the state government will allocate extra funds to look to rehabilitate the major highways and keep. The freight moving
3: yes michael good to be on the show today uh, i was in forbes on sunday in a helicopter uh, with senior transport officials as well as working with the ses uh, and local mayors uh, around that area in particular phyllis miller um, the newell has been cut in several parts as an example and uh, we are working and thinking outside the box as well with something like the newell in how we try and move the water because uh, being a central west local i know how it works out there it's not real deep the water but it just sits there Mm. and it's and it's not dropping as quick as it has done in the past um and that is clearly an indication that the ground is absolutely saturated and the water is lying there so we we need to get to a point where we've got some pumps in there that we've got some temporary levee type structures along the uh, highway corridor to move the water uh, because my priority is to get in there, patch what we can and keep that road open. Uh, we went to great lengths uh, prior to the recent flooding where we we put in something like over 100, 150,000 ton of gravel was brought in to put underneath the minor flooding to keep heavies moving. Um, so there's no doubt it's going to be a mess when the water does eventually uh, subside, but we're ready for it um we're, we're, we'll have crews there straight away we'll get stuck into it the, the bomb have said there's a wet summer coming there's even the possibility of more rain uh, on the Newell corridor in particular forbes and south of forbes this weekend so this isn't a one-off this is something that i've instructed transport for new south wales to have crews at the ready because i i do think and if i i do think that longer term over summer, this is something we're going to be dealing with on a more regular basis.
2: So the roads cut by flooding, do you know whether it's been washed away? And what about, you know, things like other, you know, those small bridges and whatever, they sort of stable, are they, are there some infrastructure damage that needs to be repaired as well?
3: Well, I think with regard to those small bridges, we'll get in there working with council quickly to look at them. I I would envisage that uh, we should be okay with those bridges. Uh, This is not massive, massive uh, flooding where it inundates infrastructure like we see on the Northern Rivers. This is a different type of flooding situation. But what is of concern is, is the condition of the road, considering what we had to do prior to the major flooding uh, in the gravel, in keeping the highway open, keeping our freight sector moving, there's clearly going to be a bit of a mess there. And uh, but we're, we're getting prepared for it, so we will have crews deployed quickly. Once those water levels drop, we'll get in there and patch and do what we need to do to get the connectivity restored.
2: Now, you, uh, there's 50 million dollars on the table for pothole repair. How's that going? And and you know maybe some of that money should be for the new one.
3: Well, no, I, to be fair, the $50 million I've said from the beginning is going to be exclusively for councils. It's going to be exclusively for council roads. Right. This is important. I want all $50 million bucks spent. I want it spent quickly. I've always said it is a short-term measure. The, there, are, there are a few mayors that are concerned that this is it. And I, I need to assure them this isn't it. This is, a, I think, a responsive and strategic short term measure working with local government to make sure they have the extra cash for the next six months to get through a late harvest uh, where there can be one, to get through the summer and school holidays, and to get through a wet summer. We estimate 420,000 potholes can be filled on the council road network over the next six to 12 months with this funding. And when we get drier conditions, whenever that occurs, we will then be in a position to work on our state highways, roads, and with local government to look at a road rebuilding program. So the application. So you'll take you'll closed. take
2: care of the state highways, but this fifty million dollars is for the local council roads.
3: Yep, and and it's short term, yep. and it's in addition to all the other disaster funding. It's in addition to the other state-based funding programs. Like fixing local roads, fixing country roads, fixing country bridges. This is a one-off, rant. this is a one-off top-up payment for councils to put towards their maintenance budgets. We've heard that uh, you
2: know some of the big freight trucks are tearing up the roads because they're uh, you know uh, going on them big uh, big tonnages. There's a grain harvest around the corner for hopefully hopefully a grain harvest around the corner with some big volumes on the on our roads as well any any way of getting some of those trucks off the roads and onto rail and so, so that we can preserve our roads and keep them open you know for essential services
3: oh definitely i'm i'm, I'm a big supporter of freight on rail we are going to be in, investing into our infrastructure this year our country rail network and our regional rail infrastructure we maybe going, into,
2: going from silos to rail hubs or reopening well, some rail hubs
3: at silos well, possibly, and the, the, the east-west connections for our rail infrastructure um, and, and making sure that our supply chain in this state is as strong as possible. But yeah, that the might not necessarily
2: happen this harvest
3: well no you can't build rail that quickly Mm. and uh but we we i want less money invested into business cases i want more money invested into rail infrastructure we're doing that i'm also working closely with sydney trains who look after the north coast line in some areas but also the main western line where we saw the land slip and the sinkholes on that line earlier this year Mm. um making sure that we get our preventative maintenance right. And a lot of this has to do with drainage. Uh, I've discovered that some of these sinkholes have formed because the drainage is the original drainage that was laid pre-Federation. So we're gonna take the opportunity, new drainage, new and better connectivity to stormwater in these areas that are getting well above average rainfall and more events more often. These are the things we're looking at. i need them to be meaningful. I need them to be deliverable. And make a difference to build resilience into the rail line. The best example I can give, Michael, is when the main Western line went down for a few weeks. Roger Fletcher in Dubbo had 126 containers plugged into PowerPoints of pre packaged meat for export. Cadia uh, at Orange couldn't uh, uh, export any copper concentrate or gold, as well as the containerized grain that comes out of the central western, western, and uh, parts of the state that needs to get through to botany. I'm fully across this, we know what we need to do, can't control mother nature, but we can control our long-term plan and we can control bringing industry and community together when we get through the wet season for a pathway forward
2: as minister for regional roads Sam Faraway it's coming up to 20 minutes past 12 here on the country I got a text in from Kate who's uh, fair to say she's not not happy she says the minister should get out of his helicopter and actually speak to the transport for new south wales teams who've been going over and above their pay scale problem solving on the spot whilst others further up the tree are sitting in their lofty, dry and safe offices waxing lyrical. Uh, and Kate says in 2016, after the last major incident, funding was promised so the new highway would not be cut ever again. And uh, Kate says zero happened. Here we are again. More uh, huff and puff, says Kate. It's uh, 20 past 12 here on the New South Wales Country Hour. You can uh, send us a text. You can always send us a text here at the country. Air, Zero four six seven nine double uh 922-684 is the number to text me here at the country hour and um, someone's also warning about uh, later on in the summer we're going to see more flash flooding and more coming uh, in terms of summer storms as well so that warning on the text line as well 21 past 12 well talking about uh, the flooding and uh, the damage situation, uh, it'll take another two weeks. They're saying for gas services to be completely restored in the Bathurst and Oberon districts after the floods cut the, cut the gas pipeline under the Macquarie River on Friday. The pipeline company APA has brought in materials to do the repairs and the gas supplier Gemini has uh, brought a large tanker into the area to cover the gap in supply Simplot has uh, the big company Simplot potato company processing company has confirmed that its plants in Bathurst and Kelso were shut down for two days but they are up and running again so uh, if you've uh, uh, got any concerns about the gas supply you can always send us a text 0467 is the number to text me here at the country hour And staying with flooding and the persistent rain and flooding across the state means that the state's uh, harvest this year is going to be a tough one for many farmers. For canola growers, the traditional windrowing may not be viable, as we heard last week from a canola grower, and uh, saying direct harvest may prove to be a better alternative. GRDC are holding webinars today to help grain growers with their decision-making in that uh, issue. Maury Streets, the CEO of Grain Arana Alliance, he farms near Dubbo, and he says it's going to be a challenge, challenging harvest ahead.
6: There's a lot of uncertainty there, I guess, mainly focused or as a, as a result of the current weather conditions we're experiencing. Um, you know, obviously a lot of, lot of rainfall all over the state, uh, critical conditions in some places with flooding. You know, even where there's no flooding, trafficability on paddocks is um, is starting to become a real issue to them um, as harvest approaches.
8: Do you think it'll be quite a, a challenging and and disrupted harvest for a lot of farmers?
6: Look, I certainly think there's potential there uh, that it will be a disrupted harvest. Um, we can think positive and hope that the forecasters have got it wrong, but by all accounts. This wet pattern that we're in looks like it's going to be sticking with us for a little
8: while yet. What's some of your advice when it comes to those that are either starting to think about windrowing canola and and some of the challenges that there'll be around uh, with the wet conditions that we're seeing across the state?
6: Well, I think the thing is uh, what we've seen from some of the research work that we've done, and it's certainly been backed up by other JRDC investments and work by New South Wales DPI, it's really shown that getting windrow timing correct. Can be you know quite significant in the yield benefits, uh, the flip side of that is it's, it's easy to get it wrong, um, and you know there's penalties for going too early, but I think the real acute problem they're facing us at the moment is growers simply can't get on to get at wind road uh, when they want to, whether it be right or wrong, um, and that's forcing growers to consider direct heading canola, which for a lot of people is probably not not familiar to them um, so that's that's certainly. Uh, presenting a new challenge and and making a lot of growers think about how they might attack that.
8: And What are the pros and cons of taking that approach?
6: Well, I think, you know, direct heading um, has got the advantage that you don't have to worry about the complexity of getting it windrowed on time and getting windrowers in there. We've got a little bit more time um, for the weather to take up or the paddocks to dry out before we need to start putting machinery in there. I think there are other advantages too with direct heading. If if this rainfall continues, putting canola in a windrow is a perfect place for them to, you know, when if they get rain on those windrows, um, you know, being in that windrow can exaggerate the potential for it to sprout and start to germinate, and that results in a loss of test weight, uh, which is ultimately a loss in yield and potential downgrades to the price you receive as well. So, a standing crop uh, probably won't. Uh, Suffer to a greater degree, but it comes with risks and concerns as well. That you know that that crop um, is maybe left more exposed to windstorms and stuff like that, and shelling out before the header gets there.
2: Murray Street is the CEO of Grain Arana Alliance, and he farms near Dubbo. He's talking there to Josh Becker. It's twenty-five past twelve.
0: You're listening to the Country Hour
9: on ABC Radio, New South Wales.
2: According to the Bureau of Meteorology, Australia had their second-highest average rainfall for October since 1975, and in far west New South Wales, Broken Hill followed with uh, recording their wettest October ever. Australian bush food producer David Doyle believes with the increased rain that's around, he's seen the most native plant species in a decade. The Barkindji and Malingapa man spoke with reporter Yusuf Saudi at Stevens Creek Reservoir, about, about how he felt with all this extra water.
9: Much as it's been destructive to the rest of the countryside and people getting around, it's amazing to see all the water around. It's been great for the um, coming out of the drought, the resilience of the countryside and the plant life that's coming back. Plants are one of my passions, the natives, and I just love to see them flourishing. There's things are growing at the moment that I hadn't seen for a really, really long time.
8: How does that make you feel as a Barkindji and gapa man? That uh, makes me
9: feel really good that and shows the how the countryside can bounce back as well as the people that are growing that live here. We go with how the um, environment is you know we're we 're just coming out of one of the worst droughts well it 's one of the worst the worst route that I can remember and we 're coming into some of the the best seasons as well, even just up at Menindi at the moment you know we 've got the river that 's almost at flooding and people having to move out of their houses but on the other side of that, after the mass fish kill, we've got fish that are it's their breeding season. So you know it's it's fish breeding season at the moment. So this water's been fantastic because the fish are coming, they're swimming upstream uh, with the flows, heading up to um, spawn, and they will make their way back down to the Minindi Lakes to grow out in, in the natural fish nurseries.
8: And so, how long have you been in Broken Hill for?
9: About 10 years now. So originally from Menindy where I'd lived pretty much all my life until about 10 years ago we relocated to Broken Hill.
8: And so how does this year compared to, or even just the past month, compared to the past 10 years?
9: Uh, the the amount of rainfall we've had has been amazing to see and be part of. I've travelled around a little bit and it has, you know, it's caused a bit of issues with where we can and can't travel but it's all part of nature really and I, I love to see the rain. I love to see, it. I, don't, I don't mind it when it cuts off roads and we can't get places as long as people aren't left without food and water I think it's a good thing.
8: And as you're talking about fishes as well as native plants why is this water important to you? So this is going to sustain the
9: countryside for a, a, quite a long time you know it's, this is what when we go back into drought this is what will keep the the plants nourished the uh, animals watered after all of this has gone away it's also the what's going to sustain the countryside for a long time as well.
8: What do you think your relationship with the water is? Can you tell me a bit about that?
9: Yeah, sure. Look, for us being river people is quite we're really connected to it. When there's water available, we also you know, it makes us feel better about the place. but you know that water that sustains the animals and the plants also helps to sustain us as the, the countryside flourishes, so do our, us as people.
8: So right now we're on Stevens Creek surrounded by water flowing. How does this make you feel?
9: To have the water flowing, to be able to see it still, um, to see it, we've obviously had enough that it's going to continue to flow and build up in some of those spaces that haven't had water for a long time, so it's given to drink, uh, a drink to areas that haven't had water for such a long time.
8: Yeah, well you're involved with making bush food, how has that been like with the increased rain?
9: But my interest in the bush food is in building over a couple of years now and to be able to witness the countryside Flourishing, And then to see some of the plants that I haven't seen since I was probably uh, a teenager a- around and available and abundant really to, um, has been fantastic because the, some of the plants now I can take photos of, um, showcase how we traditionally use them, how we could mo- use them more contemporarily as well as um, the medicinal and nutritional benefits of it has been really good. So to be able to show what the country can provide for us when we look after it, um, even though we haven't made it rain. It's been really, you know, beneficial to to me, I suppose, to, to be able to showcase some of those things.
2: David Doyle is an Aboriginal bush food producer. He was speaking there to Yusuf Saudi about all the rain and uh, the impact that that's having on bush food. He says it's looking amazing at the moment out there. It's... Uh Coming up to uh, 29 minutes to 1, and shortly we'll have the weather details, of course, uh, that rain event uh, we've been watching starting at the end of the week. We'll get the latest on that. Uh, But right now, let's get the latest on the news from Adam Storey. Good afternoon.
7: Afternoon, Michael. Uh, Well, a day after Medibank refused to uh, pay the ransom uh, that was demanded by the hackers, the group is now threatening to publish the stolen customer data within the next 24 hours. Uh, the health insurance released a statement says the threat was made on the dark web overnight. Uh, they've written to customers to inform them of what the, the, what data they believe has been accessed and provide advice on what they should do. Uh, the, uh, basically, the key word is that customers should remain vigilant. And these hackers may con try to contact people now directly, given they have their phone numbers and addresses mm. with the various sorts of scams. Uh, meanwhile, the Sydney uh, Sydney teenager has pleaded guilty to misusing the information from the Optus data breach. Uh, he didn't actually steal the data himself from Optus, but he got hold of it uh, and then started. Uh, uh, well, he's alleged to have started a uh, a blackmail scam uh, via text messages. Uh, didn't
2: didn't uh, go very far. Though, didn't did go it? very far. I think <laughs> they got him the day after. Yeah, That's
7: he's. <laughs> His personal security. was a novice. In- his personal security wasn't too good. <laughs> that's right,
10: that's
7: right. <laughs> uh, he's written a letter of, of apology uh, to the court, uh, uh, but the uh, case has now been adjourned till February for a sentencing. Uh, federal police say 17 women and children who have been repatriated to Australia from Syria do not meet the threshold for terrorism and control orders. Uh, the AFP uh, Commissioner Reese Kershaw have been questioned uh, during a Senate estimates uh, committee and he uh, says his agency did not provide advice to the government regarding their return um and but he says the group has been very very cooperative uh, with law enforcement since they have come back to australia Uh, taxi drivers will be compensated for their licenses after striking a deal late last night the taxi council has accepted the state government's 905 million dollar compensation package so that's $150,000 in compensation per licence for metropolitan cabs. Regional drivers will also be able to claim up to $195,000, depending on uh, the amount of ride share availability in their area. And uh, just getting back to scammers um, overseas, uh, a guy who calls himself Ray Hush Puppy has been sentenced to more than 11 years jail for laundering millions of stolen dollars. The uh, 40-year-old made his money with online scams and the FBI has described him as one of the most prolific money launderers in the world. Is that right? Yeah. Hmm. So Mr. Hush Puppy is now... Money
2: laundering us. from what, like, does, it, does it, was there any detail on that? I, I saw there was a money laundering scheme that... Uh, yeah, I cyber thought, heist. So basically, heist.
7: yeah, basically stealing data and demanding a do you, ransom.
2: Do you know what a lot of these guys do? They actually go in and they take $2. They actually take small amounts of money from, from lots everywhere. of different accounts. Yeah, okay. And um, hardly ever gets detected, so yes, people don't notice like a yeah. dollar missing from their account. Yeah. They don't report it, and, no. and it's—I was yeah, fascinated. And you just think it's the bank charge, anyway, yeah. You think so. it's <laughs> some sort of charge for something else that comes up, and and yeah. they get away with it yeah. for ages without getting found. Well, and they still
7: tens of thousands of two dollars. you exactly you're on your way. <laughs> that's right. Well, Mister Hush Puppy won't do much. No, <laughs> much of that for the next 11 right. years. Okay.
2: Yeah, I was fascinated by that. And I thought, yeah. well, that actually makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Taking a small amount of money, no one notices. Yeah. well most people don't notice and away it goes yeah there you go. That's today's hot tip <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't, don't 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 do as i say no no no, no. it's highly illegal yes yeah, terribly no, yeah. terribly wrong it's all wrong 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 okay thanks for that adam adam story there with the news headlines let's find out what's happening with the uh, weather details now jordan nataro at the bureau good afternoon yes good afternoon michael so is it uh, pretty dry around the state at the moment a few showers
11: yeah, we are still seeing some isolated thunderstorm development as we head into the day. We are still starting to see a couple of storms forming around parts of snowies and far northern ranges as well. And we will see a couple more storms as we go through the day. The focus area, if we were to look at today, will be around our southern um, ranges itself, where we have got those slow-moving storms similar to what we saw yesterday, and we may see some isolated higher totals. But we'll see basically a quite a quick clearing trend, though, through most of the state through Wednesday. Temperatures on the increase of the inland and then as we start heading through Thursday and beyond we start to see some more unsettled weather on the way across parts of the west. Severe storms likely as we go through Thursday, Friday on this first trough that's going to be moving through parts of the inland but we're more going to be focused on the second surge which is going to come through later on the weekend. That system as we go through the later weekend very similar to ones we've seen in the past. A more broad widespread storm activity across the state which is going to bring more rainfall across many areas. At this stage, it's going to be another focal point for when we start to see potential renewed rises in catchments through the inland. At this stage, it is going to be heavily driven by those storms, so we are going to continue to focus on exactly how much we're going to get as we get towards particularly Sunday as our highest day of rainfall. But it is going to be a day where we are going to start to see the risk that we are going to see some river rises again in kind of broad areas of the inland.
2: Right. Okay. So, um, and the focus in in the south, like, are we looking at Lachlan, Murrumbidgee, or are we looking in the north? Or is it what? What sort of parts of the states are really going to be hit by this system again?
11: Yeah, so the most focused catchments we were looking at within the Macquarie, the Lachlan, the Murrumbidgee. Right. Depending on how things go, potentially we'll be having a look at the Murray as well, depending on how the rain falls and how the, the dams respond for the rainfall as it comes down. It is going to be not another... Not so much
2: the Namoi and the Guaida, though. From this, from not this so event.
11: much the... Yeah, so not much on the Namoi and Guaida at this stage. The Tumut again through the Murrumbidgee, potentially again another location... But it is going to be still be seeing quite widespread severe thunderstorm activity that we'll be seeing localised flash flooding in many areas of the state across that period. And there will be a shift again with those quite warm temperatures as ahead of that will be driven with some quite large storms as well. So not only heavy rainfall, damaging winds, large hail also associated, associated with these storms as well.
2: Uh, and sort of what's the base amount of uh, rainfall we, we're going to get from the system if we don't have thunderstorms? Is it sort of 20, 30 millimetres? yeah
11: so we've been seeing over past days again those isolated storm totals with these slow moving storms around that sort of 30 or so 40 millimeters um, right. already so the main change will come and again we've been talking about this many times before as that system comes through saturday into sunday we get that attachment to tropical moisture coming through the main difference what we've been seeing in past compared to this one is that temperature as well so we're seeing temperatures in the high 30s coming ahead Again, tropical air mass, similar to what you'd expect, upwards near Cairns, coming into New South Wales, and the rainfall totals of this stage, isolated totals upwards of 20 to 40 millimetres wouldn't be out of the question, if not in more than that as we head towards Sunday when the storm's become a bit more active. It may see, again, daily totals over a number of days, upwards of potentially even up to 100 millimetres in some areas. So it is going to be one where there will be variability across the region. But until we can start to get a bit more focused, as we get closer to Sunday, we'll be, again seeing the potential more isolated and then as we get more closer we get that focus and we can get more confident exactly that rainfall range as we get in towards saturday and sunday as well
2: so that moisture mix is sort of coming down from queensland it'll mix as it comes across from south australia and down and then but it mainly focusing on the sort of bottom half of the state you think at this stage although there could be some more a sort of convective uh, rain in the north of the state it's hard to tell
11: yeah, so at this stage it'll be the smaller catchments further north that may possibly see some um, re- renewed rises. Mm. At this stage, uh, we're looking at most of the activity happening through central, northern inland, stretching down towards the southeast. So at the moment, yeah, maybe the Namoy and Guada are a little bit out of the potential for the heaviest rain, but Noting it doesn't necessarily have to be as heavy as we've seen in past to see renewed rises of note. It looks as though that the most, uh, let's say, favourable areas for seeing renewed rises upwards of the major flood levels is going to be outside those areas and, again, back towards more Macquarie, down to the um, Murrumbidgee and, again, um, the Lachlan
2: as well. Are we likely to see, you know, the the flood levels rising again in uh, the towns like Forbes again, where they might see, uh, you know, the river rise again to major flood level?
11: There is definitely the, the chance that we could. Um, at this stage, again, early days, we're early looking days, at our flood, yeah. flood watch um, procedures as we get towards the next few days to, ex- again, identify exactly where we think the predicted heights are going to be with additional rainfall. But noting, obviously, that the rivers are very slow-moving and additional rainfall has in past seen renewed rises mm. above major yep. flood levels, yep. it definitely can't be discounted as a possibility.
2: Yeah, OK. So we were watching that with interest. So starting Saturday, Sunday, is that when we'll see the most rainfall?
11: Sunday is currently our peak rainfall day, so at this stage, will be Sunday seeing those renewed rises coming through more into Monday. But flood watches are likely to be if we do see them being issued for the catchments. Will be fully on the Friday. Where we'll get the best indication exactly how those rivers are going to respond.
2: All right, Jordan, thanks for that. Catch you later, Mark. It's twenty-one minutes to one.
1: The Country, the
9: Country Hour. Hour on ABC Radio New South Wales. Talking about water,
2: the New South Wales Water Watchdog has begun a prosecution in the New South Wales Land and Environment Court against a Lower Murray vineyard operator. The regulator alleges that the former owner of a vineyard near Wentworth bypassed water meters and pumped up to 13,000 megalitres of water beyond their water licence allocation. The water was allegedly taken illegally from the Darling River during the Millennium Drought. NRA Director of Investigations and Enforcement, Lisa Stockley, says the allegations are extremely serious.
12: Yes, that's correct. We allege that the amount taken was 13,000 megalitres. Uh, if you can think of an Olympic-sized swimming pool and then multiply that by 5,000, that's the quantity of water that we're alleging has been taken above the water allocation license, water access license. And sorry.
2: what sort of period of time are we talking where this water was taken?
12: So the alleged offences occurred between 2011 and 2015. However, they weren't reported to NRAR, um until 2000, the end of 2021.
2: So how did you find out?
12: Uh, we, they were, we were alerted by a third party in relation to this matter, uh, and then we undertook our own investigations, obviously, to establish whether the offence, we believe the offence had occurred.
2: And you didn't notice it by things like, I know, satellite technology, you're always monitoring that, you didn't notice through that?
12: Well uh, at at the time that the offences were occurring Enra actually hadn't been established so these these uh, offences predate Enra's establishment.
2: What part of the state are we talking about and what rivers were affected?
12: So we're talking about the general Wentworth area and the period of the offence actually was off the back of the millennium droughts that affected the Murray-Darling Basin and the southern cropping zones of the state at the time that the water was taken from the Darling River.
2: Right okay so a pretty sensitive time to be taking water.
12: Yes, absolutely. Um, When when NRA considers whether to take prosecution action, um, the level of uh, harm to the environment and the community is always something that we take into account. Surely water like this would normally have to be metered? Yes, that's right. So in this instance, uh, we will allege that they actually bypassed the water meter. Uh, So therefore, the um, alleged water take occurred without metering therefore difficult to detect
2: so if this was happening then and they were able to bypass a water meter i would imagine that there would be other properties at the same time that were doing this similar thing that a lot of water metering uh, could have been bypassed at the time
12: Oh, well, look, I, I guess there is the potential for that. And if, if NRA receives information to that effect, um, obviously we investigate it. Um, what we have in place now is a little bit more sophisticated in terms of the technology that we use to monitor compliance.
2: So it wouldn't be as easy to do this now as it was 10 years ago?
12: Well, absolutely not.
2: And what sort of fines, what sort of penalty might they face?
12: So individuals uh, that are involved in a prosecution or are prosecuted at the Land and Environment Court can be fined up to one point one million dollars or up to two years in jail.
2: Lisa Stockley is a director of investigations and enforcement at the Natural Resource Access Regulator, uh, and that uh, court case uh, is on the ninth of December. It's uh, seventeen minutes to one here on the New South Wales Country. I've got a few texts coming through about the. Grain, uh, the, getting the grain uh, out and about on the roads and on the trains. Malcolm says uh, getting grain back on the trains is going to be a bit hard when hundreds of those sites with railheads have actually been shut. I think they were trying to talk about uh, reopening some of those uh, uh, silo grain, uh, grain sites. Uh, and uh, someone's texted in to say... Uh, Sam had a chat to a number of repair crews on the main City to Melbourne rail line at Harden. He says uh, uh, they're having trouble getting time on the track to actually fix it, and uh, it's a real mess to try and get... uh, uh, the rail, the rail uh, going uh, because of uh, they're having tr- trouble fixing it up as they as they go, according to Sam. So he said we might talk to the minister about that one as well. And on the potholes, Scott says that uh, the Costa Group have written to the Armidale Regional Council. They've been asking to try and take advantage of that 50 million dollars for the pothole program. There's heavy damage they say to the council local roads. It's impacting on their freight for the Costa Group, but apparently no response to date on that issue so they're still trying to lobby to get some of those potholes fixed for the Costa Group. It's uh, for Armadale. it's uh, quarter to one on the country hour well the uh, turning our attention now to the ports uh, because in just over an hour the legislative assembly is expected to pass a bill that will free up the port of Newcastle to get to work building a large-scale container terminal. Now, the port has been shackled by an agreement, as we've heard about on the program before, the the 2014 sale of the port where a cap was imposed on the number of containers that can be shipped out of Newcastle. Newcastle can move up to 50,000 containers a year, but anything over that, the state government must pay New South Wales ports, the operator at Port Botany and Port Kemba. Now, the agreement has been called anti-competitive, and a privatisation dud by the New South Wales opposition. Our reporter, Blake Doyle, has been following the story and joins me now. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Michael. So this debate, it's going to be debated in the Legislative Assembly pretty soon.
5: That's right, Michael. The debate is due to start around about 1.15 on this. Now, some quick background Uh, Independent member for Lake Macquarie, Greg Piper, uh, introduced a private member's bill last month seeking to remove the the restrictions that you've just explained on the port of Newcastle. Now, in the last 24 hours, he's reached agreement with the government after accepting amendments. Now, those amendments essentially require the government to appoint an independent umpire to determine what the fair market price for the lease on Newcastle port would have been uh, if the restrictions on container trade were not in the original deed of agreement. So effectively, the Port of Newcastle would be required to pay the government the difference between the new valuation and the $1.7 billion it paid in 2014. Uh, That, Michael, is estimated to be in the hundreds of millions of dollars. Now, there are lots of advantages, a lot of farmers,
2: a lot of people in primary production, uh, freight generally say that there are a lot of advantages to scrapping the old deed of arrangement. A lot of people saying it was a dud from the beginning.
5: Yeah, that's right chris Mins has been especially scathing this morning but i guess you know what they're saying is scrapping the old deed of agreement creates more competition in the market um, and and ends what was effectively a monopoly on container traffic uh, in, in new south wales the man behind the bill greg piper argues it creates uh, more options for producers across regional new south wales uh, and with billions in investment um, potentially 2.4 million billion uh, in investment he says it'll be a boost for his nearby Cedar Lake Macquarie uh, and the wider Hunter region. Here's a little of what he had to say on that this morning. Newcastle, the port of Newcastle is is, is a, a good deep water port. It can uh,
6: add uh, really good container logistics, serving people in the northwest, the agricultural sector, for example. Uh, many uh, who are now, if you're um, quite, say, uh, north of or west of Armidale, you'd be looking at sending your produce out via, uh, um, through Queensland. And if you're, say, south of uh, Bathurst, uh, down that way, you'd probably be looking at sending it out via Geelong in, uh, in Victoria. So there's something wrong. Our biggest container port is on the edge of the most constrained, most congested city in Australia. It makes sense to open this up.
2: So there's Greg Piper, who's an independent MP. uh, And uh, what about New South Wales farmers' position on this, Blake? What have they been saying?
5: Michael, New South Wales farmers have been amongst the biggest supporters of a container terminal in Newcastle. Uh, New South Wales farmers' president, Xavier Martin, says the fact that in fact: Grain is being trucked into the busiest city in Australia. is a clear sign that, that there are you know, freight logistics issues. He says giving Newcastle the opportunity to expand uh, will will reduce constraint on roads and make things more efficient. Growers say they can save between sixteen and twenty-two dollars a ton uh, a ton by uh, by moving uh, produce out of Newcastle. It's a lot of wow, money, isn't also- it?
2: For a per ton, it's a lot of money.
5: Well, and you know, and and, and that adds you know, obviously adds up into the into the into the billions uh, over the years. Now, there's been some cross uh, cross bench support uh, for this bill, I, I guess, after some back and forth. Uh, several Nationals MPs, including Upper Hunter MP Dave Lazell uh, and the member for Northern Tablelands, Adam Marshall, say it makes sense for primary producers to be closer to their uh, export ports. Yes,
2: indeed, and in fact, uh, the Nationals MP, uh, Mr. Marshall, this morning said that uh, the government. Despite it making a lot of sense, it stubbornly opposed the reforms and he's been lobbying for some time and he said he's actually prepared to cross the floor to get the idea over the line. Let's hear a bit about what he was saying earlier today.
13: The government has caved to the inevitable uh, arif- political arithmetic, which essentially means if the government wasn't willing to play ball, it was facing inevitable defeat on the floor of Parliament today if the bill actually came to a vote because uh, the crossbench... A number of uh, MPs such as myself uh, on the government side and of course the opposition were supportive of this bill and so the government in the end has decided to um, play ball and will uh, put forward two amendments I understand uh, that will seek to in the government's eyes improve the bill slightly make some tweaks uh, which are completely acceptable to uh, Mr. Piper, myself uh, and to the port of Newcastle. And so that, that should proceed today. So whether the bill will come to a final vote today or tomorrow, uh, the bill is now ensured passage through the lower house and then it should progress to the upper house later this week or next week. And this is great news, Christy, for our region, whether you live in Tamworth, Gunnedah, Narrabri or Moree, because this uh, is about removing the artificial monopoly uh, that was created in 2013 to allow another container port terminal to be built in New South Wales at Newcastle, which will, which will no doubt be a lot cheaper than the existing monopoly and give our producers, whether you're a grain producer or you're a small manufacturer or other business that require on componentry being imported or exported, uh, another, another option closer to our region and inevitably cheaper.
2: As Northern Tablelands MP, Nationals MP Adam Marshall talking earlier today and uh, that debate due to start in about uh, 25 minutes time. We'll bring you the details on the program tomorrow. It's uh, coming up to uh, eight minutes to one. We'll have some uh, market information shortly. But before we do that, the commercial fishing sector, they've raised concerns about some elements of a parliamentary inquiry reporting to cultural fishing in New South Wales, the Upper House Inquiry investigating the 13-year delay in commencing legislation to protect Indigenous cultural fishing. It handed down its findings in state government yesterday. It made seven recommendations, which included calls for the government to cease all surveillance and prosecution actions against Aboriginal cultural fishers until it implements the legislation. Secretary of the New South Wales Abalone Association, John Smyth, has welcomed some of the recommendations, but he told Kira Prowse that he's worried that uh, others may be a bit problematic.
13: He's very supportive of um, being involved in working with the different groups to help um, that be
10: established.
0: Yeah, and I mean, obviously, you and other stakeholders gave evidence and submissions into this inquiry uh, are the recommendations from this what you would have hoped for are you or are there areas that you think you would have liked to see addressed or in a bit more detail
13: absolutely yeah um for example you know a recommendation is to immediately cease any sort of surveillance in relation to what they're saying is cultural fishing but what we're saying is actually illegal fishing, there's not been an attempt to actually delineate between a person that's fishing for his cultural use, whereas they're putting in the same basket some of these guys that are caught with huge quantities.
2: Secretary of New South Wales Abalone Association, George Smythe. It's time for markets. <laughs> uh,
14: 64,
2: Let's go to Wodonga cattle now.
1: Good afternoon. 1,400 cattle were yarded in a fair to good quality yarding. All the usual buyers made it to the market and most were operating. There was a bigger number of veal along with a good selection of yearling trade cattle. Heavy cattle, however for export were in short supply. The market fluctuated quite a bit with finish and fat cover dictating prices. Veal gained ten cents at the top end, five dollars to six dollars. Trade steers were firm to fall better, five dollars to five fifty five. Feeder steers were Very few to quote, 5.10 to 5.40. Trade heifers, 4.65 to 5.39. Feeder heifers, 4.40 to 5.09. Heavy steers, 4.40 to 5.80. Bullocks, 4.40 to 4.70. Frisian steers, the better end, 3.74 to 3.80. Heavy cows and leaner grades were 5 to 12 cents cheaper. Heavy, 3.84 to 4.14. The middle run, 3.10 to 3.70. Leanne MLA.
2: Nothing from Forbes Sheep and Lambs because of the flooding. Let's go to Kakor Cattle now.
10: Good afternoon. numbers lifted slightly for an offering of 1,485 cattle at CTLX. Quality was mainly good, with pen-suiting feeders and processors. More yielding heifers were yarded and sought after by feeders during the market. The usual field of buyers attended, with not all operating fully. There were some plainer younger cattle, ideal for restockers, plus a mixed penning of heavy cows with a good selection of growing cattle. Younger cattle to the trade sold close to unchanged, with a few fluctuations due to quality. Feeder steers sold to an easier trend. Grown steers and heifers sold either side of firm. In the cow market, heavy cows sold unchanged to five cents cheaper, with the leaner cows selling from firm to ten cents dearer in places. Villas sold from 518 to 572 cents. Yearly steers to the process mostly made from 490 to 576 cents. Feeder steers were from 500 to 580 cents. Restockers paid to 586 cents for good quality. And also from 528 Up to 758 cents for lighter steers. Yearly heifers to the trade made mainly between 500 to 540 cents. Feeder heifers sold from 490 to 526 cents. The planer heifers made from 360 to 459 cents. Grown steers made from 457 to 510 cents with some extra heavy weights selling from 465 to 496 cents. Grown heifer sold close to unchanged and made from mainly 410 to 488 cents a kilogram. Heavy cow sold from 378 to 417 cents, with leaner sales from 330 to 395 cents. Heavy bulls made from 330 to 370 cents a kilogram. This has been Tim Delaney reporting to MLA and CTLX. Let's go to Gunnar Cattle now.
14: Good afternoon. Numbers increased to just over 2,000 head. Yearlings well supplied along with heavyweight growing cattle a good quality penning, conditioned to suit all destinations, sufficient to fill requirements. Or a full field of buyers operated. Deer are trends through all the yearling steer classes significant breed and quality related improvements throughout. Lightweight restockers sell from four sixty-four to 680 cents a kilo. The medium weights to restock and feed 4 dollars 6 to 6 cents. 38 Heavy feeders sold from four forty to 550 cents. Heavy trade were firm to a shade deer of 488 to 500. Firmed to slightly dearer trends for yearling heifers, a great variation in breeds. Lightweight restock is 370 to 650. Medium weight feeders, is 400 to 578. Heavy trade heifers posted strong gains, 405 to 530 cents. Heavy ground steers to process were firm to deer of 406 to 508 cents. A similar trend on the well-finished ground heifers. They sold from 414 to 490. There was little change in the count market with heavy 3 and 4 scores 378 to 416 cents a kilo. James Armitage from LA in Ganada.
2: To Inverell cattle now.
14: Good afternoon
15: Inverell penned 880 cattle an increase of 162 quality varied with the plainer quality types, better quality steer and heifer yearlings held firm with restockers working the top pens as well as feeder buyers Plainer types held the market back to be a generally cheaper sale limited processors saw cows sell to cheaper trends Heelings steers to background 590 to 642 to see a dearer trend. Medium feeder steers 470 to 556, slightly dearer. Sales of planet types saw a reduction in trends with heavy feeders 420 to 500 and heifers to a similar vein restockers paying 548 to 578 for better bred light like yearlings. Medium, heifer, medium feeder heifers to average 478, slightly cheaper and heavy feeders 410 to 460. Ground steers to process 378 to 400 cents a kilo, with the heifer drafts 365 to 390 to sell at a considerable reduction. Ground heifers to feed on 320 to 376. Cows to cheaper trends, medium weights 300 to 333, and heavy cows 360 to 382. Heavy bulls 330 to 371, and ealing bulls to feed on 340 to 580. Stephen Adams, MLA at Inverell. And to scone cattle now.
13: Afternoon. Numbers lit by 200 for 800 mixed-quality cattle. Extra yearlings this week. Cows made up the bulk of the export. The market trend overall a little cheaper. Some breed and quality contributed. Over 200 kilogram vealers tears of the restockers, they remained firm, 6.12 to 7.55 cents. Same weight, have a portion, 10 cents cheaper, 5.75 to 6.36 cents. Yearlings tears lost 5 cents. Medium ways to feed and the restockers, 4.68 to 600. Wide weights reached, 6.56 cents. Yearly heifers also had to feed in the restockers. they were firmed a little cheaper. Medium weights 420 to 560. Wide weights reached 612. The best prime lot to the butchers reached 540 cents. Heavyweight cows 15 cents cheaper. The better covered pens 372 to 410 cents. Restockers paid up to 580 cents a kilogram for a heavy bull. And he'll get his game, Cattle, CMLA.
2: And that's the market information for today. Uh, Greg in England has texted in saying 10 millimetres of rain there yesterday. The Bogan has, uh, Bogan has a lot of water in it. As for potholes, he says slowing down's the best thing you can do and it will only get worse when the wheat trucks hit the road at harvest times. You've been listening to The Country Hour. It's time for
10: the news.